suspension bridge, a city skyline, a church steeple, and an angel, all drizzled with a thick red liquid. As it pours into a vat, an image of a horny demon rises from the liquid. It half glances over its glistening muscular red shoulders. In the foreground, the ooze drools down in red block letters, Daredevil. Tonight we're in Hell's Kitchen with, and I got to make sure I introduce everybody so that the internet doesn't get mad at me. Because, you know, after episode one, debacles, I, I came back and we're coming back harder than ever, bringing in two heavy hitters, Merlin Mann and Dan Morin. Hello. Heavy hitter. That's, that's flattering. Yeah, huh? totally. Hi, Mose. Thanks for having us. <laughs> well, I, I, bring, I bring in the, 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 the street-level knowledge, the guys that are going to bring the bats in, because we are at probably our apex of violence. When people call out blood porn, we're, we're going to start getting into that particular uh, arc. Apex of Violence was a great album, by the way. I really dug that one. By yeah, Daredevil, and, Daredevil, Daredevil and the Electras? Yeah, those, were guys, those guys were great. So, Merlin, when did you get kind of started into and getting into Daredevil? It seems like, you know, last, you know, last episode it was everybody seems to be getting in at the, at the, at the, uh, at the Merlin years, at the Miller years. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, just uh, the, the, you know, 15 second version of my comic history is that uh, my best friend when I was a kid, John Patton. Hi, John, if you're out there. Um, John introduced me to all kinds of stuff that became hugely influential nerd stuff over time. Like he introduced me to mostly uh, he got me really I, I was aware of Spider-Man, but he got me into Marvel Comics. You know, he was super into Lord of the Rings. We both love Star Wars. Like, you know, we we saw Star Wars the week it came out in 1977. And uh, he was very into the Marvel Comics, which I got a little into the comics, not super into it. And I don't know, I think, you know, it's like Freud and latency. I just over the years, like I, I missed the whole like grandeur of 1987. Like I was in college, it just went all went past me. But then when I had a kid, for some reason, I kind of wanted to get back into comics. I started really getting into the kind of uh, Chris Claremont, uh, John Byrne, you know, kind of the era of, of the X-Men. So I did not have deep catalog on on Daredevil at all. But as I got into comics again, it's funny. It's like there's these, these certain characters like Hawkeye, Iron Fist, Daredevil, three that come to mind that... I never had any feelings for one way or another, but in the, in the case of, of uh, especially Daredevil, Daredevil has like four different, I discovered, like fantastic runs, and I, I had no idea. He's, you know, he's sort of, sort of B-team, and he's not, like, he doesn't have a, a giant hammer or anything. So I discovered the Frank Miller stuff, I discovered, and the, you know, and the Electra stuff, uh, I discovered the Bendis Maleev stuff, which is terrific. Again, such great art. And then uh, the Mark Waite stuff is fantastic as well. There's probably others I'm, I'm passing over, but, uh, I realized that, like, I had a special, a special place in my heart for Daredevil because I discovered these people who really loved that character and got the hell's kitchenness of his character and the grittiness the batmanness in a good way of his character um but i guess we'll come back to to the show but i i don't know i had i had kind of mixed expectations going into it but uh i was i was ready for it to be whatever it was going to be but i'm not like a historically a giant daredevil fan but i I've, I've been very happy with all of those all of those runs are just i think wonderful wow 
Merlin, Merlin totally tops me because I, I actually have very little. So I read a bunch of comics, you know, when I was growing up, I was a teenager. I read a bunch of Marvel comics, mostly sort of X-Men, some Avengers. Um, but, I, you know, it's weird. Looking back, I was trying to think about how because I, I realized I had this sort of catalog of knowledge about comic books and I couldn't point a finger to how I acquired that. Because today you'd say like, oh, yeah, I looked up this stuff on Wikipedia, but there was no Wikipedia in the 90s. <laughs> so I don't know where I got it. Probably just talking with friends and friends telling me about like superheroes. I definitely I, the one thing I could remember, and I was just looking this up to confirm it, was that in the 1990s Spider-Man series, Daredevil does appear for a couple episodes. And I think that would probably be one of my earlier sort of like if defining images of Daredevil, um, because I was thinking, I was like, oh, where do I remember him from? I was like, oh, definitely an like a cartoon of some sort. Uh, and so I think that's kind of where I knew him from. But like even going into this show, not having read most of the arcs of Daredevil um, or even, you know, the Frank Miller stuff, really, I, I just I knew a lot of stuff about like I could have told you he was Matt Murdock. I could have told you he was a lawyer um, and that he's blind and has all these powers that come from, you know, extra his senses being really sharp that he got blinded in Hell's Kitchen. Like, why do I know all this? I can't tell you. It's like a background radiation of comics knowledge. Um, so obviously I did see the rather terrible 2003 movie. Was that when that came out Man. the afflicted yeah yeah so <laughs> I, i've i had seen that um but beyond that i couldn't say that i necessarily had a lot of you know like merlin was saying I, I don't feel like i had a lot of deep daredevil knowledge you know prior to this um or at least growing up as a kid my was much more focused on the x-men or <laughs> spider-man or stuff like that um but i you know i knew enough to know like oh yeah i kind of know the concept behind daredevil i know the character i know some of the other characters in the mythology because they cross over with all the other marvel characters um, but yeah, and so I went in kind of fresh, which was cool for me. So I got to see this particular version of Daredevil and not be too clouded with other previous incarnations. Well, I mean, you know, he, for me, he was the first, like, and I don't know why I saw him like this, but like kind of a handicapped superhero, like in, and it was like, I, I'd known about professor X. I mean, the guy's in a wheelchair for Pete's sake, but like for, there was something way more special about him. And I think it was the fact that he was B-League. You know, he was the street-level guy that's that's doing stuff. You know, he's not on a global scale. He's not going to fly over to Switzerland to help out, you know, this, that, and the other. He's not going to go to Atlantis. He's not that type of guy. He's working on his block and just doing his thing, which, like, for me, that was just – that. there was something about that that just kind of stuck into me. And it's almost like, you know, uh, you know what, like when we watch Star Wars, you know, we kind of like – get really into Boba Fett and we create stories around him and, and we bond to that character. Like Daredevil was just that guy that I just bonded with instantly. And from there on, I just, I was just super hooked. Then comics, I just, I, you know, I kind of got into girls, things like that, you know, the, the trip. And uh, so then I just, you know, bailed out eventually. And then here I am rekindled back at 40 years of age and playing Daredevil again. I like, I like what you said though, about, I mean, I, I have I, I say this every time I end up talking about com comics, but I think one of the reasons X Men resonates with me so much is there's so many stories uh, in the last couple three generations of America that really work that where the X Men really works as an allegory. What, and like mm -hmm. I think in its time, X Men was very much so. So much of the early Marvel stuff was about uh, the nuclear age and about you know the consequences of that. X Men comes along, and it seems very pointedly to be about discrimination in a lot of ways. Discrimination against at the time uh, black people, but over time, I think, and I've, I've 
talk to the talk to friends about this. I have so many friends uh, where they were gay, realized they were gay growing up. And X-Men really landed. It sounds like a stretch, but it really landed with them because they had this feeling of like, I was born with this thing and it's been a total liability up until now, but maybe I have a super superpower I didn't know about if I find the right family. And to me, X-Men still is convoluted and way too many titles as that has. I think there's still something very power, powerful about that. And and so with, with Matt, I just, I really, I like that combination of the, the X-Men-ness of like, this is definitely not something that I ask for, but combined with the Batman, the good, the really gritty, exciting part of Batman of like, he has some turf that he wants to protect. He does not want people screwing up his city. And importantly, again, for this, for this series to work the way it works, he's not afraid to go there to protect his neighborhood. Right. Like kind of like the Batman of the last generation or so. He will cross a line that somebody like Captain America probably wouldn't cross. Sure. Nick Fury would. But, but I love (laughs) the idea of somebody who didn't, didn't ask for what they got, but they're trying to use their, whatever you want to call it, liability slash gift to protect something that they think needs to be protected. I think that's a story. And again, like you said, um, as the street level stuff really, really works. I thought this was, I thought this was going to be like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, you know, spotty, but. <laughs> no, no. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be mostly an ad for movies, and and I was so pleasantly surprised by the grittiness of it, and how much it is grounded in these people. Everybody, even the villains in this place, mostly care about the community. I mean, and that's really an interesting playground for a story. Yeah, well, and and being gritty, I think there's a temptation, especially these days, if you throw this up against something like the Nolan Batmans or the Zack Snyder Man of Steel or whatever, to be like, those are so gritty to the point of they take themselves too seriously. Whereas I think this at least still has moments of levity, which is really nice. And rather than throwing Daredevil, you know, again, we've as a guy who is largely sort of a, you know, not a super powered individual necessarily. Yes, he has skills, but like Batman, he's not necessarily a guy flying around and punching people through buildings, you know, being able to get sort of a more realistic approach to okay he's not taking on supervillains he's taking on crime right like in, in right. some ways that's a throwback to the really early golden age of comics where you know so many of the things that, that superman and batman were doing was like stopping muggers uh so you know having daredevil like deal with that it, it almost at parts especially with like the gang stuff i should feel like this is like this is like the wire version of oh yeah of like yeah. The, the marvel's universe here right and, and the way and his vulnerability. I mean, I think you guys you guys already talked about the fight scene, but like you know the <laughs> fact that what makes that fight scene at the end of E two so good is you can tell he's exhausted, he is injured, he is vulnerable, but he still he keeps on fighting. It's it's a that that part is very Dark Knight, whereas some of the Nolan stuff, God bless it, gets virtually gothic. Like this mm-hmm. instead, as you say, feels more like The Wire. It really feels like well, this is how the city actually works, or this is how it seems somewhat realistic in in this media age that this is a story that you know i mean sure it's a comic book story but this is a, this is a plausible story of how actual people would react given these powers in these situations yeah yeah you know i have to think about that you know because here like i'm just kind of kind of open up to episode four a little bit in the blood where we have the two russian uh prisoners but they're you know they're mobsters the brothers and they're get literally just getting hammered beat and the third guy in the cell you know, they find, you know, he, he got eaten by rats and they make shivs out of his ribs, which that sound of breaking bone is just horrific. When he puts one. his hand into that, that squishing yeah. sound, when he puts his hand into the rat hole of his body. Yes. I, I remember who said, who one of my friends or something talking to me was like, man, you see way more bone in this show than I thought you were going to. <laughs> 
That's, that's a little ping pong, I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, stealing from Merlin. Um, but and then, but even though, even then, we still have you know Matt also getting in into another yet yeah, another scuffle, and Claire coming, and Rosario Dawson. I swear, if she's not in season two, I'm going to be really upset because I think she's a great character. She's like the Sir Alec Guinness of this show, where like she brings so much like not gravitas is the wrong word, but she's she is awfully credibility. Awfully good. Yeah, and like they they didn't put her in a bustier. It's so cool. Right. She's just she's just obviously like like a beautiful and incompetent woman, but she's just in her in her like hanging out in her sweatpants and trying to do the right thing. I, it, it's amazing. I and it, and their relationship like during without going too far you know but it seems to kind of fall away and it's like ah man are you kidding me you know how how is that possible because it seems like oh you're definitely gonna be falling in love and yet you know in in some ways it breaks convention and says "Mm, yeah we're not going to pursue that so what's interesting to me about that is especially in these episodes that we're talking about a little bit and not to jump ahead too much, but the that we see that that relationship set up in parallel to Wilson Fisk's relationship with Vanessa. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, the supervillain is doing a much better job, as it were, of, you know, wooing (laughs) a significant other or having a love story. Right. Like the love story is in some ways more successful, at least as far as, you know, these episodes go for Wilson than it is for Matt, who sort of starts off with this, you know, he has this, Claire has this fascination for him, but it gets a little dicey when she sees really what he's really up to. Whereas when Wilson Fisk reveals kind of who he really is and what his job really is, he seems to only further entice this woman that he's attracted to. And, and it's, yeah, and I, <clears throat> I'm just pulling this out of the air, but it also strikes me, it's it's really nice to be at a point in history where, I mean, it's worth pointing out that there are, there are I don't think, any main featured women in this who are throwing themselves into the arms of the hero. In each case, each of them has their own brains and power, a power of a kind, at least the power to say no, or the power to say maybe, or the power to say later. They're not just, it isn't, it isn't like a golden age, like my hero kind of thing. In each Mm -hmm. case, like with Vanessa, I mean, she has, she has terms, like even though this she's not doesn't see him as some sugar daddy like it's she's got she's got something that she's looking for and she knows what she's willing to give up in order to go there and if that match isn't right it's not going to happen and so this incredibly powerful man is bowing and scraping to her and just being incredibly solicitous and my god you'd never want to screw up Wilson Fisk's date can i just say oh jeez <laughs> never be you'll the get, guy that ruins you, his date you'll have a, head, a hell of a headache later <laughs> now that scene i i have seen like i i can't remember even going through the the miller run the pariah and armageddon stuff um with fisk i I don't remember kingpin being and i think i talked about this song even on the first episode which was this character being as fleshed out now there is one thing that i have noticed and this is probably on the second run through and i'm nitpicking like crazy but do you ever think that diafrio kind of every once in a while i i I, I look at him and I, or I hear like the bug guy from Men in Black. <laughs> oh yeah, because he's doing that. Ed- he's doing that band Edgar. voice where he's like oh. he's dropping at a register and kind of talking like this. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what's the bug. I know the bug guy, right? Yeah, right. And, and like, doing, doing the weird, you know, like 
He's, he's got holding a, his like arm. A, got an affectation where he drops it a little bit. Right. <laughs> but I've never. Have you ever seen him fleshed out like this in the comic series? I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I haven't read every single issue, but I think it doesn't a lot of it come out of um, – is it Vanessa being killed in the comics? I mean, isn't he kind of seeking revenge for some of it? I, I don't know the continuity, but but I, I totally – I mean, you know, this is already from the first time he comes on. Like, first of all, it's great that, that they did not Dick Tracy him with makeup to like make him like just like morbidly obese in like a jokey right. way. Like he's obviously a powerful man who can move. Like that makes yeah. his ca- character so much more dangerous. Like, you know, every, I, I want whatever, <laughs> I don't want what his suit is made of. I want what his forehead is made of. <laughs> well, but, I also, I also think they do a great job introducing him gradually, right? We didn't get totally. thrown into him being, you know, in those first few episodes, we just get a glimpse of him really at the end of episode three. And then we get fully into it. Like we really kind of dive in starting with episode four. Yeah, because, I mean, it would be pretty easy if you weren't being careful with that character to turn him into Boss Hog, where he's just trying to get the Duke boys. <laughs> and, and instead, again, he's he's like, I, I, I had a toot about this last week as, as I was watching this for the 50th time. I was like, could you ever imagine that watching a man, I were a little ahead here, but I mean, watching a millionaire criminal eat an omelet would make you sad. I don't think you're up to that yet, Dan. But no, but, but like the fact that you really feel for this guy... You know, I kind of wish I was going to be here for episode eight because I'd really love to talk about episode eight. But, uh, who, but who's saying you can't? Who's him? saying you can't? But you know, I mean, like it's it's again, it's it's so great. It's again like the great any of the really great, all the great villains. You look at somebody like the Joker. You look at Magneto, and like fuck, they have their reasons. Like they, they, they're not great reasons, but they're that way because they're that way. They're not that way just to be twisted. They're that way because the world made them that way, and everything they're doing makes sense to them. And in his case, he's so methodical and. And he really thinks he's going to – and there's, again, you know, you're more like me than you think kind of thing. He thinks he's doing the same kind of thing Matt thinks he's doing. They're both taking a really twisted road to try and save the community in their eyes. Right. And, and, and you know, so many writers and storytellers would talk about the fact that every great villain is the hero of his own story. And that's really clear with Wilson Fisk. He really thinks he's doing something great, as you're saying, Merlin. Like, he's got this. And it's fascinating to hear him and Matt in juxtaposition because, you know, they're they're talking and later on in one of the episodes over the, over the radio and we get the idea, you know, there is that. It is a trope to have the villain say, oh, we're, we're not so different, you and I. But in this case, there's more truth to that, I think, than there is in, in a lot of situations where they are both kind of shooting for the same thing, but they also have very different ideas of what that means and how to get there. And, and they're both uh, and so, they're both kind of in pain the whole time. You can yeah. see Wilson Fisk struggling. He's having, and I think D'Onofrio really did a great job with this. He really walks the line. I don't think he goes too far over. I don't think he goes into, like, Nicholson no. territory. He really walks a line. But, like, he He's, he's like he's polite he's solicitous he's dignified and he's not unhinged until it just goes way off the rails like in, in which case the the monster comes out but like he's not he's not just a sadist and i think in the comics he kind of comes across more as a sadist yeah and, and 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 some sort of unstoppable force which in some cases he is but it's only when he when he doesn't have somebody that can do the job for him it's kind of like all right, I'm going to do the job myself and it's going to be a mess. And I don't care what the, what the can't, well, I mean, let's go ahead and throw it. The, um, you know, this is, is, is the probably easily the, the goriest of all scenes, probably maybe in, in the series easily. Um, but he takes one of the Russians who's interrupted his, and obviously 
his relationships with women or anybody are very tight knit. He, pro- you know, frank- frankly, it sounds like Wesley is his only person that he would even call a friend. So anybody that's close to him, there's only a few, and he wanted Vanessa to be a part of it. That gets interrupted. So what happens? Wesley goes and gets uh, Vladimir, I believe it is, and uh, um, Anatoly. An- Anatoly. Anatoly. Okay. And um and and literally gives him the uh, head noggins with his um, SUV door uh, more than a couple times. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's I mean, really that slightly excessive. Yes, a little excessive. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a little bit maybe a little bit i felt yeah. like i was watching platoon <laughs> uh yeah they, i mean and it is the up until that point there are definitely some gory scenes i was thinking of the scene from one of the earlier episodes where the guy impales himself on the fence oh um, yeah but and, and yeah three which, yeah. yeah the little yeah you get that little gasp thing but there is i definitely had that moment of like you know you sort of do the oh geez you know as you're watching this uh i think that was the point at which i also decided that my girlfriend was not going to watch the show it's like i was like vetting it i was like nah, i don't think that's gonna happen um well, but i do think that that you're right that it is fascinating to watch him as a character who uh you know as there's we have so many like crime boss characters who are like the oh i don't need to get my hands dirty i have people for that and for so much of the show up until that point it seems like wilson fisk might be that kind of person where it's like i don't need to do my dirty work i i, I don't like my name spoken right like i'm gonna have layers and layers and layers between me and anything that could possibly tie back to me incriminate me whatsoever but you interrupt my dinner and i'm gonna smash your head with the car door until you're dead well he's got like, he's got, he's got there's an a ethics. reason he's got like an ethics and a sensibility to what he does that is what makes the story so rich so if he were just some guy with with mommy and daddy issues that that might be interesting but what we have to always remember is he i think the reason he's doing all of this crime is because he has a vision and so when when madame gao's supply is not flowing it's not that he's not going to make his ducats to be able to afford another suv it's that it's it's impeding his vision of being able to make the city the, the way he thinks it needs to be and like what greater villain could you have quote unquote than than somebody who has a vision of that they think they need to see through that that's it's so great and and, you know it's funny you just mentioned the whole vision thing because he he is on a long game and at the end of the day he was not out of control he did it systematically for a reason to start a war and and it's like what you weren't out of control well i believe you know i think you you really definitely enjoyed yourself a little bit and he kind of had a gomer pile look on his face at the (laughs) end of it um like i could just see him sitting on the toilet and um private pile and um but he had he said you know this is going to start a war i calm and cool cool this this is what i want this is what we need to do right yeah i couldn't decide if that was retroactive or not you know i kind of feel like he is he is such a such a planner you know he is such a you know person thinking all these steps ahead and trying to figure out how to manipulate everything move all the chess pieces but you know you and sometimes you wonder like well he could have just shot the guy right like the whole point of the his his personal vendetta sort of comes out in the fact that he's going to brutally handle this guy in his own way um but it is it yeah it is fascinating to see those two parts of him sort of at odds with one another well, and I didn't realize till the next episode, uh, "World on Fire," where he really did take his head completely off. <laughs> when they're hosing hosing out the SUV, SUV. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, not not well, even he that. sends the body back with yeah. no head. Oh, yeah. yeah, and and yeah. Vladimir oh, is it Vladimir? Obviously, Vladimir. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's washing the body, and I was just like, wow. 
that I mean, number one, to stomach that kind of pain and just to be going through that kind of methodology, I, I was, you know, it's one of those things you, it's the little things, those little touches to see, okay, this is the bond that we have, and yes, this is going to start a war, and and it was it was ready to go, right. What's well, like that? Um, oh gosh, I'm spacing. What's the um, what's the uh, superhero movie or TV where they talk about putting rats? You, you throw the rats. Is that Batman? You talk about throwing the rats into a a barrel and until there's only two rats left. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's like oh, he's trying yeah. to make he's trying to make everybody else do this work for them. In this case, he realizes again, like he takes a step back and realizes how much he can leverage, like through his control of the media, like he can completely change this game without having to do much more than that. Like the, the town will eat itself if he puts out this bad information. Well, and, and speaking of bad information, then, you know, we're coming into this one with, you know, basically Matt on the defense because he's potentially killed these cops. All right. And so he's able he's been able to spin, you know, by by with the people he knows to make the mask uh, you know, the bad guy in all this. So are we on this is are we we're talking about uh episode 5 now? Yeah, why not? I just yeah. thought we'd push it we'll push it forward. Um can I toss out one little thing here? Um no. I I I, <laughs> I, uh, I remember well, just in terms of like uh, Brady's bits here, uh, I went into this like thinking like, oh, you know, this will be fun. Like this will be it's a it's the Marvel machine. Marvel is a very very large train. You just want to stay out of its way. It's Marvel is going to do what it does. So yeah, maybe this will be good. Who knows? And then funny thing, um, uh, Czar of the Network, uh, Jason Snell on his podcast with Tim Goodman. Tim Goodman uh, just went hammer and tongs before i'd seen this he just he was like this is this is bad this is a bad show it's blood porn. i don't know if you guys heard this but i know oh this this was the this was this was what you're talking about is the 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 inciting factor of why i found we just had to do the show well because because well i was ready to kind of like it I, I think i'd heard maybe that it was pretty good from a couple reviewers and tim who like like i don't always agree with tim goodman but i like his approach you know kind of like with roger ebert like i just like the guys i like his style and uh and i like his ethos <laughs> but uh he just was like i mean he he was pretty uh, like not even unapologetic he was just like this isn't it's not good like it's not a good show and so i went into it with such low expectations that it was such a that first episode was such a delight to me i mean a lot of people say you know it gets better after the first episode but damn the first episode is pretty good here though is part of what i think makes this entire series so good it's become a trope now to rely on things like flashbacks to tell a story right you think about something like lost or you think about you know any of any of those great shows that are that have shown like help over a season or an arc build those characters by giving you a glimpse into their past i mean Marvel just compulsively puts out movies about the origin of superheroes. And in this instance, what was Matt's origin story in the first episode? Maybe five minutes? Three minutes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, well, if that, yeah, we see him as a kid, right? Like, we don't even see... We don't know, we don't know that that's point. him. We just see a kid. Right, right. And to this point, even for me, having gotten through episode six, there's still 
pretty much no explanation of where you know how did he get to be so so badass right like <laughs> I, wait I think that's fourth i think that's forthcoming <laughs> yes but but still it is fascinating to see you can go six episodes and, and you just sort of have to take it as a given that this guy is good the first time we see him you know we see him fight those guys on the dock you know uh, oh, yeah. you know, kidnapping those girls and it's like <laughs> there's no explanation <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's no explanation of what's going on there's no explanation of who he is or how he got trained to do that you know i think that's that's fascinating. It's great to sort of be thrown in the deep end for once and not start off with like the, all right, he was bitten by a radioactive blind right. guy, you know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess, and, and I have a specific example here, but I'm going to make the case that this is part of why this succeeds as a Netflix binge watching show is that I feel like they've done a really good job of knowing well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like genetic guessing. But like, I think they probably knew people were going to watch these in pretty fast succession and probably kind of, you know, pay pretty close attention. So they didn't feel like they needed to have a whole episode of Matt being 10 years old and maybe then Matt being 12 years old or whatever. They, <laughs> what I'm getting at is I feel like they do a nice job of giving you just enough information to keep the story moving and to tell you what you need to know to understand what's going to happen soon. And like, to me, the way that he explains his powers is, of course, oh. you know... Can you imagine, like in a in a Stan Lee comic, like you know all of the all the different callouts and like little arrows and explaining things? Yeah. And in this case, it's all explained in that one scene. He does it in about a paragraph. We get a little bit of a graphic, the 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 titular line from the episode "World of Fire." But I guess I want to I want to know what you guys think because I feel like part of what makes this show so good is it doesn't give you the full reveal on practically anything at a given time. Mm -hmm. It gives you just enough to understand. In that case, that's plenty plausible for me to understand like, oh, so he can, he can quote unquote, see these things because of his powers. And that's really all I need to know. It's a comic. I'm fine with that. But like they they waited until the fifth episode to explain that. And it all takes place in about a paragraph. Right. Well, and even more to that point, there's so many things, you know, earlier on where, you wonder about how his capabilities exist. There's a scene uh, in one of the first few episodes where he uh, he realizes, well, I think it's when he realizes Claire's in trouble and he runs around, like basically runs around a corner, ditches his cane and then starts like parkouring up a wall and you're like, what? what? How can he do this? And exactly. And that's the first time you, I mean, because if you've seen any Daredevil, you've you've seen his gymnastics, but we have never gotten to see him do that yet at yeah, all. That, and so I, I think Merlin's totally right that again with a comment when it, with a show like this which is so grounded in realism and so much depends on realism as being the sort of vehicle for telling this, um, you know, having something having him explain it in a way that may be sort of pseudo scientific, but it still works within the concept and the conceit of this series mm-hmm. that it's not like oh I have magic mystical powers and I can see um, even though I'm blind it's it's that you know there are all these other factors that he sort of puts together and. And, and turns into a composite that lets him think because i think in some ways i think reducing it to like the he can see is still a little bit on the cheesy side just because i feel like it's so much more than that right but like you know this is a visual medium so i think that is how we've chosen to convey that but it, it's so much more complex and so much more information coming into him that you in the way you see him move in the fight scene so fluidly and better in in most ways than somebody who could see can even do right like he's he's almost always at an advantage well, from it's like, it's, it's like why it's hard to swat a fly the reason it's right. hard to swat a fly is that they feel an adjustment in the air just when mm-hmm. the hand is coming toward them way before and we're like how did you do that how could how did you quote unquote see that well they saw that by feeling the the air in that case and right. I, I you know and, and you know what that that works that works just fine for me you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree. Well, and it works way better than, and we and we talked about this, which was you know the radar sense and actually this <laughs> bat like ding 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 echolocation, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. and it's just like you know, but in, and 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 to see his world for only for a few seconds, it's like cool. I got it. That I mean, I don't need to see raindrops falling on people and seeing vibrations and then getting all frazzled on that. And and it doesn't deal in the where they could go into even uh, effects porn. Let's say that <laughs> they don't. Here it is. That's right. it. And you're, where it you're could have been like that. some kind of Matrix thing with a uh, with a lot of CGI oh. and shine. No, yeah. no, no. That's a that's a bad thing. Sure, sure. But I mean, like in the com- even in the comic, you know, you, they always feel the need to kind of explain and explain and explain. And I, I think at one point, his horns have antennas that amplify radio signals and stuff like that. There's all <laughs> kinds of stuff, in, you know, in continuity porn to try and explain why he's the way he is. And anyway, now we've talked about it way too much, but <laughs> but the the, <laughs> the elegance of it is that you go like you know like and to me, I, you're a Negger Wright fan, right, Dan? I am like there's these certain kinds of movies where I'm like you know I'm I'm having such a good time with this ride that like don't go too far into explaining how this all works because I'm with you as long as you keep telling a great story like a John Woo movie like I'm okay I'm just gonna follow you along eh, that's explained well enough you can kind of see all right got it <laughs> yeah move, yeah, move well, on yeah I mean otherwise yeah you run into the midi chlorians issue <laughs> well, oh. yeah, come on. sorry I didn't mean to bring out the M word guys. <laughs> I think I think by the way I just want to say this one for my my premonition for episode 7 I believe someone's going to say yeah in the old days they believed in metachlorians they believed that there was some sort of like kind of organic thing it's not real you think so? I was going to no, guess it was going to be. They're one not going to touch it. I thought it was going to be one of those Stalin sort of airbrushed out of the picture type things. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's <laughs> not, not even mentioned. About, yeah, not, and don't even talk about it. There is one other thing, and I think this comes more, more of a personal background. But there, you know, Claire gets abducted in this episode and really beat. And I always have, a, and they they handled this actually, in my in my opinion, very well. With you know the swinging of bats and like almost hitting her, but hitting the hitting you know the 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 cab windshield. But like I always have a real problem with like violence in women, or especially against women. And she was really beat, but then she kind of has that burning bed kind of moment where you know she kind of is, you know, Matt's kind of has this ability to you know defend himself and and be a vigilante, and she kind of kind of stepped into that um role and that's where i thought ooh maybe they are going to connect on this level but at the at the same time it kind of it kind of starts to show yeah you can't connect on that level you can't connect on 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 the violent level and and a romantic level at the same time mhm yeah i agree with that hmm. hmm so this also this one is where things start to get a little crazy so they finally rolled out fisk we're seeing a little bit more of Fisk. We're seeing, you know, his values and what he does. And does this kind of we're kind of leading up to um, our other blind friend and the uh, the explosion into the yes into the our our career is that what you're talking yeah about? yeah and yeah. that's it, that's uh that's it's so wild and again it is <laughs> it's embarrassing to say it is so much like the wire in some ways yeah <laughs> where you realize this it's just an impossible tangle of connections and you know short term or long term you know fidelity based on certain needs that you have on each other and like I gotta say when when that guy walks in and he pulls out the the little uh, plunger i was just like oh god i was I, I was not expecting that at all 
I yeah, that was that was definitely a moment that caught me by surprise because and and part of it is because up until that point it's treated with such normality by everybody else around it, right? It's not until we see Vladimir um notice this guy and be like, huh, why is that person here that you realize there's anything even out of the ordinary happening here? Right. Um and then I think as it's cut so well with that, admittedly, uh, my I'm I'm less a fan of the scene with Foggy and uh, Karen, uh, or at least I like the beginning of it. It it takes a somewhat strange turn at the end. Which one? The, the one with Mrs. Carnitas? Uh, yeah, I like. I, <laughs> <laughs> Why does that make me laugh every time? I, I I love the whole arc with them in that episode, right up until the point where she asks him to feel his face, oh, her face yeah. like a blind person. We're like, that's weird because like at that point it's hard so hard to tell like is she just like really pining after matt right. and foggy's kind of like a like a you know kind matt, of a matt surrogate speak, matt, matt can speak spanish fluently he just likes to hear her voice <laughs> and if i love the expression foggy makes like oh god yeah i mean if i were foggy i would be pretty pissed off if, 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 <laughs> at matt senor foggy to you yeah yes. <laughs> senor foggy but, you know <laughs> the brutality of the combining the sort of the explosion that we see and then the explosion where we see the fallout for Foggy and Karen right. is impressive because there, there's a moment of disorientation, you know, that kind of mimics the whole like, okay, something just blew up because like, well, were they near that thing that blew up? And then you don't realize, I think, until you sort of see the, you know, uh, Wilson and Vanessa watching it from the restaurant that it's like, there's there's a bunch of shit going down. Sorry, I swore. There's a bunch of stuff going down. <laughs> but also, and again, like, you know, in the age of... Gosh, I, I'm much less troubled by blood porn than I am by CGI porn. It's 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 so nice to see that story kept small and in what almost felt like... Well, nah, it's a stretch. But it's funny because how many of the comics that... Uh, the, the great comics of the 80s featured lots of TV screens, like The Dark mm-hmm. Knight and Watchmen and how much of the story is told through media. They didn't have to give us like tons of mushroom bombs to show an impact. It was much more of an impact to show like what, what how we would see it, which is by watching TV. Right. And you know what well, I mean? And seeing all that stuff unfolding in all these different places in the emerging story. They also shy away from, which I think is nice, and one of the nice things that um, that happens over on Gotham, a show which I have very mixed feelings about, but they sort of uh, untethered from the modern day in some ways, right? It's not like the characters learn about this, oh, I was browsing Twitter, and I saw that there were explosions over in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> saw a guy you know, die like, on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> That was Don't weird. swipe right. Do not swipe right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the idea that there was, uh, that this is sort of, I always feel like that seems weird to me, you know, and I, and I know it's part of our lives and it's certainly part of my everyday life, but it always seems so self-conscious when it gets brought up on a TV show, especially like this in something that's supposed to be a different world, you know, an escapist right. world. I love the, I love the drops the very few drops here and there to the rest of the Marvel universe, you know, that they do a good job of anchoring it. And I love the fact that the whole reason hell's kitchen is such a disaster zone is that the it's the fallout the from, from right, right. <laughs> the, the incident. I love that. I love that. It's great. It makes perfect sense. It lets you get away from the fact that hell's kitchen is not like a giant garbage can in real life. <laughs> um, it, it firmly sets it in a different world and it does do a nice job of tying into the rest of the world without being, you know, slavish to the like slavishly oh, adhering it's, it's, to it's what's so going subtle. on and there. Only tonight did I think to Google the name on their door. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. So if you know, you know, no. they got the, they've got the name of their, they've got the handmade sign on their door. But you'll see something like Van Lunt Real Estate. Oh yeah, I read about that somewhere That's else. Taurus. What, it's a character named Taurus. It's like a, another Marvel superhero who used to be in there. 
Yeah. Oh. Was it like a crooked real estate developer? <laughs> yeah, there's 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 little drops like that. I also like the throwaway lines where like Claire's like, Oh, are you one of those Playboy billionaires right. yep. that I've heard about? <laughs> like such a such a nice dig. And it works. It works great, you know. I, yeah, they, I love they, how that works. They dig at Thor every now and again too. Yeah, it's, it's like hammer. You know, magic hammers, yeah. Uh-huh. Right, right. Maybe you had a pseudo armor, a magic hammer. Um, but yeah, it's like, I mean, the MCU, one of the great things about the MCU is the fact that they're all interconnected. And I like that we've spun, it's going to be interesting to see how this spins off with the following series, which are tied into this. It's like a little mini bubble in the MCU with like the street level. It's like a, it's mini- like a, it's like it's a, a miniature version of the, whatever, the second generation. What you know, like where they had all the little movies that led up to Avengers. In this right. case, phase we've got two, four separate series that'll become the Defenders, right? Right, and I like that it's, but it's still like a microcosm, right? Because oh, totally. it's people yeah. who are all involved in the city rather than like, let's save the world from invading aliens. Well, and, and like, we, we mustn't pass over. My gosh, think about how many great characters uh, we, we've met in this. Like, I mean, gosh, <laughs> so many. I mean, like, you know, it goes by really quickly, but I mean, Madame Gao, how great is she? You know, Leland, that guy's trouble. Uh, but, <laughs> but you look at like um, Mrs. Mrs. Car- Cardenas. Uh, you look at Mrs. Carnitas. <laughs> I think it's Cardenas. <laughs> I think I think the reason it, it's it's funny is I just put this together that you could easily live next to her. I could see that daily interaction. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> but then we got we haven't even talked about Ben Urich. I mean, what oh, a, yeah. what a wonderful yeah. character and so grounded and like you know uh, apparently he works at the Daily Bugle in the comic, but the they didn't have the rights to that at the time this was shot because Spider Man yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but but in any case it's great because he is a reporter, but we don't leave behind the fact that there's all this new media stuff out there and he has a zinger for everything the the cops want to throw at him about how you know his job is dead. Look at those guys over there; they're the future. Yeah, and I enjoy him a lot here, and especially, again, of another way this harkens back to The Wire. You know, he kind of feels like, uh, and now I'm forgetting the name season of the four? character. So, season five. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Gus, yeah. Gus, yeah, Gus from the from the Baltimore Sun. Um, and he, there is certainly like a like a callback there. And, and you know, there is, there is something perhaps a little tropish about the newsman who's like, I'm the last good newsman in the city. Um, but I do really like him, and I like the relationship that he and Karen build up over these episodes. Yeah. Um, and you know, especially because you know, it gives her more agency as well. She's invested now involved and invested in this whole, uh, whole scam and sort of coming at it from the other side, right? You know, well, Matt's working his way up from the street. She's kind of working her way down from the corporations, but they're, they're on parallel tracks, but they haven't intersected. And, and it's still fun at this point that she and Foggy have such different viewports into what, you know, the mess man is where she mm-hmm. sees him as this guy, this kind of mysterious character who saved her. Foggy, I think at this point is still thinking that he's a super bad guy who's out there. And, you know, at this point, Foggy's still buying the idea that this guy is causing these problems and he's a vigilante. Um, and, you know, I, th- that, that's, that's a lot of fun that continues to evolve in a way I think is really satisfying. Well, I mean, you know, and that was funny. We, we you know, we talked at the last episode a little bit about Foggy, but not very much. And, I, like I've come to kind of really like him a lot more than in the comic. In the comic, he was just kind of a, you know, a doughy goofball. And yeah, he's comic relief, in, right? In the comic, and, yeah. And and this, well, first of all, he and Karen, I I can't remember in the comic him being as close to her as as she is right now. And I, I mean, I really like that side story. Where they're going at it from, you know, the lawyer perspective and whatnot, and I, I've started to really warm up to him, especially now going through it the second time. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. that actor, and I don't know what his name is offhand, but 
Um, Elden Henry or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, I mean, I, I mean, I like he doesn't he doesn't come off as just this dopey kind of schmuck guy. He's you know he's solid as much as Matt is, and they're partners. Yeah, and I, I like him as well, and I think he he gets a lot of the good one liners, which is always always fun. Um, and it shows it shows an extra dimension to to Matt's relationship too, right? That these that he there is such a strong bond between these two characters, uh, and especially that they go back so far, right? I think it informs Matt's story a lot as well. Uh, and I and <laughs> I, I enjoy their interplay. Okay. Oh, All right, yeah, yeah, with your hinting, I get it. Yeah, no, but I mean, um, it's funny. Like he. Um, you know, uh, typically you'd think of uh, the the guy with the blind partner as the guy who leads his partner around to keep him out of danger. But Foggy in in the show like so relies on Matt's uh, taste and sensibility to decide what to mm-hmm. do next. I mean, he's out there trying stuff and really kind of you know swinging for the fences, and Matt keeps him very grounded in a way that I think is you know it really it kind of illustrates that they they have a, a friendship and a, and a bond that goes deeper than just wanting to make some money in law. Did anybody but, else have a, have an issue with? When Yurik just pops out of nowhere in that auction, just you know, out of the blue, like it almost kind of feels a little where he comical. Pulls the Batman, he pulls the Batman and shows up. Don't bid on that thought, right? <laughs> and then he disappears that, again. Yeah, oh, right. front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, and I like. I think that's a little. They, they deliberately sort of make that a little bit, uh, a little bit ridiculous. I really prefer his interactions in in episode six, which uh, just to just to talk about that as a whole. Like, I, I that is, I thought so far, and I've enjoyed every episode to date. But I thought episode six just really, I was just riveted from the get go all the way through, and his role in that, you know, showing up at the crime scene mm-hmm. uh, as this this hostage situation and bantering with the cops, as we've mentioned, but also being a witness and also you know sort of the first response even though he doesn't like these guys you know and he kind of doesn't entirely trust them when this cop gets shot right in front of him he's the one who's like you know oh right moving to help him right and 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 i think you know that establishes not only that he's a good reporter but that he's a he's a good guy right like and he's he is another sort of uh, viewport into this situation and he we can sort of we can trust him to a certain extent he's got a moral compass mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out like, you know, the archetypes in in the series. And, you know, it would seem to me that he is chaotic good. Um it, but but he but he's really not. I mean, he's willing to, you know, have a little, you know, kibitz with the mobsters and to get information. So he's again, everybody seems to be trying to strive for what the, what they believe is the right thing to do. And I mean that's across the board. It's not like anybody's saying, "Yeah, I just want to mess things up." You know, I'm just here to you know cause a ruckus. It, it, every everybody see, and it, so it's it, they. It seems like there's not like a, a clearly defined. You know, you can't really just put these guys in in their proper pegs. They all you know can can change just a little bit, and it doesn't seem. Um, contrived or definitely the, the, i mean the only one was seriously when when he came up behind her i was just like that's just weird that, that yeah you know the, the only the only ones who are i i would chance to say the only ones who are consistently pretty cardboard are the cops who are who are you know kind of central casting yeah. crooked cops i don't i don't mind it too much because i don't know how much you know you can only take so much characterization in one show but um, but you know sometimes those I, I guess we just take it on faith that they're they're crooked because they have to be and they make money. Here's what I will say about about the cops in particular, is 
You know how, like, when you watch, like, a slasher movie and or any any kind of those movies with the big bad who, like, we can't even understand how this person knows what they know and how they do what they do and no one knows how to kill them. Like, there's not anything infallible in any of these systems. So, like, even though Fisk has most of the cops, I don't think I'm getting ahead here, um, but Fisk has most of the cops in his pocket. He doesn't have all of the cops in his pocket. And even right. the cops that he does have in, in his pocket can still be punched in the face. There's still a way that like every one of these systems can be re-corrupted by some other influence. Like every Again, all, the, all the systems, like the wire, all the systems are corrupted, but they're all susceptible to re-corruption at a very individual level. And that keeps a lot of the story in play. Yeah, Merlin, have we gotten to the cigar part? I can't remember. I don't think we have. The cigar part? I'm going to say I'm going to say no. I don't remember anything with the cigar yet. Okay, so Foggy does not give anybody cigars yet. Oh, wait. Yeah, well, that starts in the first episode. Oh, in the first episode, he, he gives the the, okay. the, yeah. the desk sergeant who is who yes. is the one sort of exception to all the cops that we've seen so far. Exactly. Okay. Right, right. He's the our officer McGinty. Yeah, so uh, I do, and I do enjoy that. That does at least bring some characterization to the police department overall. Although I also like the guy that that Matt confronts, who finds Matt in the house with Vladimir, and who is, by all accounts, you know, who do you work for? I work for the city of New York. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You know, fresh out of the academy, and you know, so we get the idea that there is there is new blood, and as Merlin's saying, not all the cops are necessarily on the take. Um, although that guy meets a particularly unfortunate fate since he is quote unquote dead when they find him. Oh my God, that was so gross. <laughs> well, and yeah, I saw that coming as soon as they came, like, cause we've seen again, the dirty cop trope, like we've seen it like, Oh, that guy's not going to make it out alive. That's really shame. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is a particularly brutal scene too, when it, cause I thought they, they did a, such a nice cinematic setup, uh, once again, between the, the scene where that, that particular, there's a sniper sort of going and setting up and you're like, Oh, he's going to set up and he's going to see, you know, Matt through, through the sniper scope and you're going to be shooting at him. And then of course it turns out that he's actually just shooting the other cops. I know. To I know. So, the blame. So I, that was really well shot. And even the stuff no with him and, and, and Vladimir, like it never goes full lethal. I weapon. really liked it. And it never gets to the full lethal weapon of like, oh, you know, uh, we're in this together kind of thing until the in like until some extent to the very, very, very end of the, you know, of the episode and how that works out. There's still a tension at every second. When Vladimir oh, yeah. gets the gun, you still have the sense he might shoot Matt like that. That still could happen. Yeah, and I kept I kept expecting him, to, you know, because you've seen the certain formulas, right? Yeah, I kept expecting him to be like, "All right, I'll admit, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend or whatever." But you're right; like he, every time I thought he was going to cave, he just keeps coming up with more. Like, like they fall through that whole floor together, you know, like three <laughs> floors, and they land on the ground. And I feel like at that point, you're like, "Okay, I've had a rough day. Let me just give you what you want." But no, he's still going to be a jerk about it, right? But I, I dig that. I dig that they have they have that whole back and forth. And I thought this whole episode, you know, it, it's kind of a bottle episode in some way with the two of them stuck in that house. Right. Uh, but it's really well done. And the back and forth, you know, Matt's got to save him um, because he's been shot. And then they he's still going to fight him. They fall through the floor. And then we have this great conversation with Matt and Fisk on the radio. Which is just fantastic. So what, what a great way for those two characters, I think, to establish contact for the first time. Because, you know, to Matt, everybody's just a voice, right? So having right. Wilson Fisk only be over the radio is not really, you know, in some ways is how he would experience that person. But Fisk, you know, being able to, he's so reasonable, right? Like, I found myself listening to him and being like... Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Wait, no, you're a crazy crime lord. No, I should not be sympathizing with you. Right. He's like, he's again, he's, but he's like some cross between like a district, district attorney and a principal where he's like, well, <laughs> this is the way this has to go. 
So there's a way that we could do this that is going to be less trouble for you, or there's a way that could be more trouble for you, you know, harder, easy. But like, this is the way this is going to go. And, you know, and plus you really could be on my team. I could use you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I, like, I, I found myself kind of like shaking my head. Yes. And it, like when, when, when Fisk was talking, I was like, man, I can see your point. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of behind you. I it's also no one of the first times that Matt really genuinely seems back on his heels. It's one of yeah. the first times where you go like, wow, he, he really, I mean, you know, even when he's been the underdog in the past, like you had a feeling he'd pull out of it. And in that, I think there really was a, a sense that like, he's a little bit outgunned by this guy. He's a yep. little getting, he's making him a little bit he's emotional. In, he, he's in over his head too, right? Like that's, he could deal with beating up guys, but he's got reached a guy who he cannot beat up, right? Like this guy controls all the other variables and yeah, he's totally set back by that, which I think is, and he's frustrated. He's like kicking stuff around on the floor and being and really pissed off about this because he realizes, okay, I could punch this guy if I could reach him, but like I'm never gonna be able to get to him. And that's, I think that's that's the interesting part. Is like we're almost like in a sense, this is an entire origin story because we're living it with him. Like, what is the line that you're willing to cross? How and when do you cross it? If if you if you are a vigilante, when am I going to decide? In a sense, like Arrow. When do I kill? When do I not? And how f- I can't just I can't be I can't pull a total Mel Gibson lethal weapon and just everybody dies. And and, and that's just it's it's a OK because it's it's it at the end of the day, you know, he still has his conscience, you know, the whole reason he's doing this. So he has to, he's finding his physical limits and his emotional limits of what what I can tolerate. And I think his conversation with Vlad kind of says, you know, like like. I, I'm I'm kind of understanding who you are and if I be what what I can do not to become you or what I have done that I, I could say we are almost equal. Right. Well, and there's also, you know, I don't know if you touched on this in the first episode, too, but his Catholicism, too, obviously plays a huge exactly. part in his conscience and mm-hmm. and what he because there's not only just sort of the uh, I'm not going to kill people, but also there's almost there's a very much like biblical vengeance in a lot of the you know, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And that's got like an Old Testament school like kind of thing going on. Um, but obviously, that does play a huge part in who Matt Murdock is. And, and, and we see Matt Murdock as, you know, in his day life as a lawyer, where he's really insistent upon like we're going to find innocent clients and defend them rather than being you know scummy lawyers who get paid really well to to defend guilty people um and so we know from his you know from him seeing him in that uh, context that he's not the kind of guy who's just going to go out and murder people granted i don't know if that you know justifies his going out and beating beating up a lot of people but you know there's the, he has a line like you're saying most like he's he knows i'm going to go this far and no further even though at times it might be convenient if i could break that rule yeah, sometimes a pack of fives is worth more than a bullet. <laughs> I also, I, I do, I also kind of like the, um, I like the, diversity is the wrong word, but I mean, all of these different, like, I, I, I don't know, Madame Gao, I think whoever that actress is, she's so great. She brings so it's much creepy. to it. She's so good. <laughs> but like, you've got the, you got her, you've got the, the Japanese guy, you've got all these different factions who all have their own, I mean, you know, uh, you know, is there honor among thieves? All these people are working together right now because it's the most expedient way to get things done. But ultimately, A, they all have their own goals, and B, they would just assume everybody that they're working with gets killed and they would get all the money. So there's always right. that uneasy sense of like, how, you know, how do you keep all of this in balance? And then the, t- the two characters that like, you know, we've been watching and enjoying all along, uh, Wesley and James Wesley, mm-hmm. is that his name? 
And, uh, God, Leland Owsley. Let me just say, guys, yeah. keep an eye on Leland Owsley. That guy, that actor is so great. That role is so Bob great. Bob Gunton, yeah. I've seen him around a while. He's, he's fantastic. And I love Wesley. He is just... He's such he's a like David every, Miscavige. He's got like a real, yeah. <laughs> real super creepy, calm vibe. All, although every time I look at him, I don't know. Have either of you seen The Americans? Oh my god, um, he looks like the. Does dude. he look like? Yeah, he looks like he looks the like evil the... twin version oh of uh, Matthew Reese. And I just, oh every time I stare at him, I'm like it's creeping me out, guys. <laughs> oh, I think he's great. He's he's terrific. In he's that fantastic. Role. He's, he's kind of so like the 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 Smithers. To, to fist yeah, burns. exactly. Well, and every time, every episode, I feel like I get a closer, like a better bead on who he is. Because in the first episodes, he seems very much like the "I'm just a paid like shill. I'm here to do this." But like as Exposition. you start to right, and as you start to see his relationship with Wilson. Mm-hmm. It, it gets more and more interesting. And, you know, that scene where Wilson does say, like, He's like oh, his you know, life I, sommelier, you know? He's, yeah, it's not just my friend. It just happens to be wine that he's picking tonight. Yeah. But he is, he is like, his, his Wikipedia and personal assistant. Like, he right. brings the world to and from. Well, this. and I thought that, you know, particularly, and this is a little detail, but that scene, uh, the, the decapitation scene with the car door, he, you know, walks over and hands Fisk his handkerchief, even though he himself has gotten blood on his face and his shirt but he doesn't wipe he doesn't wipe the blood off himself he gives the <laughs> handkerchief to his boss um and like you could say like okay he's just really afraid of him because he knows what this guy's capable of but you get the impression that he's he's not like no, it's not that he's, he's, he's closer to I'm not a fan of House of Cards but who's the guy on House of Cards the guy who Yes I know who you're talking about that, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that actor don't love the show but you know who I mean who's the guy the season opens up and he's recovering from the accident or from being shot yeah, you know the guy I, who I mean on House of Cards? Yeah, like any other day I could I could pull him but out. But he, but like the, to Stanford, me, Doug Stanford. Uh, yes, and he really seems to relish his proximity to power and his ability to make a powerful person need him. And I think right. that's a that's a type that can be very very you know maybe Waylon Smithers to an extent. I mean, plus Malibu Stacy. But but in that case, like I, I think that's what this is. I think it's <laughs> it's intoxicating to him to to be this close to power and to be so important to this guy's scheme and to be like you know he's like the guy who uh, who connects all these pieces on Fisk's behalf. He really relies right. on him. And uh, yeah, I, I, I what a great character. But I'll, I, I'm also just can I say Leland Owsley? What a great character. I'm gonna get my stun gun out of storage. I love that. Guy. <laughs> Now, here's the here the one question I do have, and this came up before. Like he's playing, even though he's really clearly not. We just it's more, you know, if you look deep, he is the owl. But now, Madame Gal, is she completely? A, I don't think she's from the comics. Okay, that's because you know, again, going a little bit further, but not too far. It just she gets more character built. And I'm like, what in the world do you do? What episode are you up to, Moe's? Oh, I'm done. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, wow, you're but, being really, really good. Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm holding it back because, I mean, it's just, I have to do that. But that's fine. And it's like, there's something about her that is really interesting. And again, they allude to this, this thing that's going on where they are putting something into Hell's Kitchen. And I'm still like... Uh, you I, that doesn't get solved at, like especially now but she seems to be the really the driving force like she has her own agenda outside of all of this in the same way that fisk does that she has that that 
if I'm understanding you, you're saying that like the selling of drugs and the um, the rackets that they're all in are means to a, a, an end that we may not know or see. Exactly, and I believe probably it's when we get we get Mr. Stick involved. Uh, and- please have me back. <laughs> I still want to talk uh, about stick. That's fine. That's uh, done. Done deal. Oh, done deal. Dan, you're in for a treat. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. But like Leland Owsley, like, did you guys never see The Dark Knight? Like, just saying. Don't give all your money to one crooked guy. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That's, that's always a good tip. Yeah. Always a strong tip. You know what? I should do a seminar. I'm going to do a webinar. I'm going to do a <laughs> webinar for, for wannabe racketeers on, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's just going to be called Don't Give All Your Money to One Crooked Guy. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's always that, a bad How much do you charge for that, Merlin? I don't know. It'll be in Bitcoin. Everybody uh, give me $100, and I'll tell you, no, do not give money to one crooked guy like me who just took $100 from all of you. Oh, it's like stuffing envelopes. It works. Nick, <laughs> make money at home. Ask me how. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I watched all three of these again, and um, I... I don't know. I, hmm. I'm having kind of a dark night of the uh, uh, of the soul here because I, I have I have been constantly banging on this show, like to my friends, like really seriously, like it's 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 so good. And I feel like I'm kind of getting to Hawkeye territory where I probably like oversold it <laughs> at this point. I, I didn't love these three episodes as much as I did when I binge watched it. And it's funny to to have a podcast where you're going to talk about these three particular episodes. There is some great stuff, tons of great stuff, but there is really a lot of this is almost like a sejura where the first three are there's there's a huge amount of like you know monster amount of development and action. And in these three, action notwithstanding, I'll just say again, having watched all of them, that. Don't you think, Moe's, there's a lot of setup in these three? Oh, yeah. This and is, this the, the is big universe payoff. building at its finest. Yeah, the world building and the, the, the payoff, I think, comes after this. But knowing that, rewatching these, I go like, hmm, I didn't like them quite as much as the first time. But, you know, they're still really good. I think this show does benefit from binge watching. I hate to say it, but yeah, it's like when you watch them like bang on like one after another, it, it really it's got a propulsiveness that makes me think they kind of had that in mind and how they made the show. Yeah, we had a little we had a little little ebb. You know, one, two, three, four, it crests. Now we're jetting down to Coolsville and then coming we're getting ready to ride a wave back up. All right. I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean I, I don't Merle, I don't think you're you're doing anything wrong by talking this up, and it's definitely not hawkeying it. If, well, if that's going to be a thing now. Is that thing? Well, yeah, now I mean, like, I, I, I think I'll eventually become famous for talking too much about something that's not as good as it as it turns out. But, um, <laughs> but no. But in this case, like, it really is. I think is it okay to talk about a little bit of generality here? Oh, yeah, sure. Why? I not? mean, like, I, there's just so much I didn't didn't get to be on the first one. So I mean, stuff like just let's just talk about Charlie Cox. Like that guy <laughs> is so He's- charismatic. He's and so damn charming. He's completely charming. And Matt Murdock is such a charming character. And you don't feel like that is the guy in the mask. It could almost be like a Racer X oh, yeah. type situation. You don't know that that is the same guy. And I, I think he's – it made me want to go and watch that Stardust movie, which, again, I think might be better yeah. than what people say. But he's uh, – it's pretty good. I enjoy it. Yeah. he's. I mean, I'm all about having my expectations lowered at this point. Um, I want to watch Stardust too, but they, Netflix doesn't even have it. It's out there. Ah. So, all right. In places. All right. All right. All right. But um but you know, I, I think the I think the cast is terrific. I think the chemistry is is terrific. And um 
I don't know. I guess I'm getting more and more interested in just as a super generality in how you design a show. It's kind of like a long movie that you know people like exactly. In, in, in the case of Kimmy mm-hmm. Schmidt, my hand to God, like I'm I I want to be more embarrassed than I am to say this, but as it happened, my family was out of town. My my wife and my daughter <laughs> were out of town a lot over this one 24 hour period, and I watched the entire season of Kimmy Schmidt in I think about 20 hours. I, just, I, I gobbled. I couldn't get them down fast enough. I loved it so much, which is not normally how I. I don't like that. I don't. I don't want to watch TV like that. I mean, I'll watch three Battlestar Galacticas or three, you know, The Wire or whatever. But I, I'm very interested in the idea of a show that's kind of almost designed to be a big, big movie, and then how mm-hmm. that changes the way you design how it goes. Because I have a feeling that's what this show is. If you pointed anybody to any one given episode and said. You know, maybe it's like the Buffy syndrome where you go like, you can't just point them to one thing and go like, oh, this is the one you're really going to be hooked. But because I think it really, it, it builds up so much and has so much velocity that it almost benefits from sitting down. So what I'm saying, Dan, cancel everything, clear your calendar. Okay. Start yeah. back and just go all, all right. the way through in order. Okay. I don't know. What do you guys That's think of that? Do you, do you think this is an emerging genre, like meant to be binge watched well, by you know, design and creativity? Yeah. That was something I, you know, I, I guy had. It said something, I had said something, and, and it was like, you know, it's it's really not defined. I mean, kind of Netflix put together this, you know, again, House of Cards, which I find to be, I can't follow it anymore just because they've gone into like chapter 66. And it, it you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Like, there's nothing clear cut um, division of season, it feels like. And with this, it's just like, maybe this is a good, like, wouldn't Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example, even though. I find that to be just simply a a thread or a tendon for the entire you know Marvel universe, and it's like whenever we have a movie, we'll go ahead and, and make it make it interesting just to get everybody watching. But it would what if that went to Netflix into a full season, you know, just laid out in front of you? I, it would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's for everything, just because I think it's so hard to. Um, you know, there are shows that benefit from being strung out week by week. There's a, something great about the serial element. I agree that there's, uh, you know, like Merlin said, this is kind of a different, it's a different genre in some ways, like a movie that you want to watch over 13 hours, um, as opposed to, yeah, I've been, I've binge watched shows that are, that were, you know, off the, off the air or had been already aired in completion, right? Like I, I think I watched the entire first season of Arrow, um, after it had aired. So I sort of just went right through yeah, it. I but you too. also get, you get like the shakes afterwards. <laughs> like you get the withdrawal and you're right. like, ah, oh, oh, I need some more. Ah, now it's going to be like six months before there's another one. So I, I think that there's, there are stories. I think what's cool about Daredevil is they clearly set out to, I think you guys are totally right. They clearly set out to make a show that would support that and that would encourage that. Um, and I think that you can, you can consume a lot of shows like that, but I also think of shows like, you know, I like Mad Men, but I don't think I want to watch 13 hours of Mad Men in one sitting. I don't but, think I can you know, take here's, it. Here's a, just a funny, uh, kind of canary in the coal mine is that my kid has grown up in a house, uh, by and large without commercials. Cause you know, we used to have a TiVo and we lived and died by the TiVo. Um, we have bought, we own 150 movies, excuse me, we have licensed 150 movies on iTunes. Yes, I'm an mm-hmm, idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, we have bought seasons of Project Runway on like that three dollars an episode, and then there oh, are, are other places that you can find things. What I'm what I'm saying though is it's very interesting. Like to, she's never seen Project Runway with commercials, so hmm. it, it she she already just like accepts this that as normal. But doesn't it seem weird that there's some there's some activity on Project Runway? There's a big cliffhanger. 
and then there's a, a blast of horn music and a fade out, and then it fades back in, and they repeat what they just said. Like, why yeah. do they? Why do they do that? Like, no, no, I, I don't think this is completely crazy. Like in that case, that really kind of stinks of being from a different genre and a different, different age. era. Yeah. Now with Mad Men. Uh, I don't know where the commercials go. I can't, I can't even tell where the commercials yeah. go in Mad Men. I don't, it doesn't feel like they're building it that way, but yep. really you look at something like Daredevil or Kimmy Schmidt and it really reads more like a novel where it's like, this yeah. is a, this is a chapter. This is a good point to stop before you move to the next one. But like, we don't, I mean, I, I feel like there's a certain kind of velocity and confidence to that style that says, we're not really w- worried <laughs> whether you're going to yeah. watch these. We're not worried whether you're going to miss or skip episodes. We know that if you watch this and like it, there's a very good chance that you will watch it all the way through in order and probably even at less than, uh, at more than one episode episode a week, which I, I, I don't know. I just think that's, I think that's a super interesting difference in what you can do with this medium. It's the first like really fundamental difference in how you build a TV show, arguably since cable started. You, you really reminded me of when I was a kid, the, um, the, the Boston Globe, our local newspaper, had the old Spider-Man daily comic strip. Um, which was hilarious because the first, you know, it's like, it's like four, it's three, like four Zork. panels. Like nothing happens yeah. every day. Like one panel, <laughs> panel one, panel one is like, this is what happened yesterday. Panel two, like there's like two lines of dialogue and panel three is like, tune in tomorrow. And there's this like, and they tried to throw it out at one point. And of all people, John Updike wrote in and complained. So they had to keep it for like five more years. And then finally they're like, okay, we're getting rid of it for real this time. But yeah, you're totally right. It smacked of a different era of of storytelling where the people did follow all those strips from day to day and you know were really or you know couldn't remember what happened the day before i but guess they would so, read it the same way they would check the weather i mean it's just part of what right, you do in a given right. day exactly exactly but you wouldn't sit down and, and like read the weeks full of comic you know comic papers on sunday you're like all right time to catch up on spider-man by reading monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday right um so yeah it's a different it's a different medium and it's fascinating i i really i enjoy that right now we are in a place where we have both weekly serialized shows and these shows that drop sort of all at once i'm curious i don't know that the the binge watch method will overtake it um but i think that it's interesting to have both of those right now i i i totally agree it just you know for me i re i was i i was i was i was skeptical about the show and i didn't want to go because i've done that before i've gone full stream ahead like my adderall is kicking in and all of a sudden i find myself Oh, I'm locked in. I am fully locked in, and I'm up at 3 a.m. finishing it out. You know, that's what happened with Game of Thrones, for example. Like, I, I, hadn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it, and all of a sudden, everybody's, like, talking about it, and I go through two seasons in two days. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, I, you know, I tried to, um, to break, it, break it up. But I would have been more than happy watching it as one continuous thing as a movie. And especially with, you know, again, with Netflix doing it, doing it for me and just asking me every now and again, hey, are you still there? Yeah, and- I, lo- I love that. Are you <laughs> sure? Are you sure you still want to watch this TV do, do, show? Do you have want- just fallen asleep. Is everything front- okay? Do you have some water? Yeah. Do you need help? Do, do you <laughs> make it press up this air? button if you need help. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. You know, you brought up a little bit about the Defenders now. I can't remember exactly. Is that that's Iron Fist? 
I think it's it gonna goes. Be Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. Yeah, and yeah, so I think it goes Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and then Defenders, something like that. I'm I'm fascinated to see what they do with Iron Fist, if only because <laughs> there's some there's some crossover with there's some crossover with Daredevil. Like he's a guy who you know fights really acrobatically. Granted, you go into the whole different like mystical arts thing, right? I mean, and but I'm curious to know because Daredevil feels so grounded. And yet, almost all of those other three shows involve some level of superpower. Uh, I'm interested to see how that goes. Well, because the whole when when somebody was talking to me about it before, I said, you know, here's the thing. You know, I'm really kind of you know I, I'm very much into the art of the comic and and the beauty of of these these suits that really can't technically work in the real world. You know spandexy type material i mean that's the best way we come up with it you know when we try to translate it and i saw like iron fist with the you know the huge um open chest tattoo and the (laughs) big big uh you know hang glider collar like it's just not going to translate on 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 screen on in any way shape or form (laughs) and it's so that that always kind of scares me and you know i'm i'm not I'm, i'm saving my where I stand at episode 13 because I'm, I'm not sure exactly where I stand with that. And, and Dan, I'm not going to talk to you about it, but like, I think we can at least agree that as of the end of episodes, well, I'm not going to assume that I'm going to say that for <laughs> myself, we can all agree on cheese that by the end of episode six, I am still super happy that we have not seen a shiny red outfit. I still I like the idea yeah. that he is still a dangerous vigilante. I really so because I remember seeing the trailers when this first came out, and they were very careful. Not, I was actually kind of bummed that the Netflix screen shows the like when you go to the screen oh, in Netflix. Right. I know it shows the red outfit. I was like, ah, I was trying to avoid that. What uh, we're going into John Syracuse like, mode at this point. <laughs> Why does the DVD show scenes from the movie? <laughs> but I, when I watched the trailer first off, I was like, oh well, okay, the black outfit looks kind of dumb, but it grew on me. Like I was like, okay, it's practical. I enjoy when Claire tells him like maybe you should get some body armor, and he's like, no, actually, just really slow me down. Down. um but it's simple it's like you see especially in the episode in this episode six where they're like going through this dusty you know condemned house or whatever he's got it's got like dirt and dust all over and you can like oh he's literally just wearing a pair of black pants right, right. and like a black sport top that somebody used to like work out um and yeah, well, we, you know well, we used to play ninjas at home exactly and it's like well <laughs> it, but it works like he look and we to the point earlier about charlie cox I, it amazes me how i'm always like oh how are people not going to recognize him but like i forget it's him when it's when he's got the mask totally. over his head because you can only see his mouth and you're like yeah it would be pretty hard to pick someone out of a lineup even if you had met both matt murdoch and the masked man here it'd be pretty hard to put those two together especially if you think well how could that guy be blind Although I do wonder why more people aren't confused about the fact that he wears a mask over his eyes. Son, you got a panty on your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, wait a minute. Hold on. I, I, I gotta make sh- I'm about to get really angry mm. for everybody that, that... Don't hulk out, Mose. Don't I'm, hulk out. But are you telling me, I thought this was an Easter egg, when I got through the series... My Netflix image changed. I heard. Up I've until, heard people say this. Is this true? Really? I, yes. I've heard people it was, say this. It was. It okay. I had gone through to twelve. Okay. I can't believe you're saying this. It, I thought this was somebody who was drunk. Somebody else no. said the same thing. When I finished episode thirteen, I got the suit. Yes. Whoa. And spoiler awesome if that's the case. That really makes me mad that 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 happened to Dan because 
You you shouldn't have seen that at all. You I mean I, I really wanted to avoid it. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind of see it in the credits. You know, he's eventually going to have a, a red hood thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made of but I'm blood. still, I, I, there's still, yeah, that's a really inconvenient costume, Merlin. There's like, there's all sorts of dry cleaning <laughs> issues. My suit is made of blood. <laughs> By the way, you I, should have, get I don't even think I talked about this in, in the first episode. I am just enamored with that opening credit scene mm-hmm. it grew on me because i i'm always wary of the like especially like game the of hbo thrones. very game of thrones yeah the the hbo and netflix like openings where they do like these really elaborate credits because there's in so many other shows especially you know shows that are networks that are commercials we've really pared down the opening like you know flash arrow agents of shield all those things have like a like a few seconds of tag right um and so having you know a big elaborate credit sequence feels very luxurious mm-hmm. um but i I do kind of like it. I it, it's grown on me. I I find it. It's not as there are some of the ones, the HBO ones especially. Sometimes I think they just go on too long. Yes. Uh, and even I love the wire and I love the songs on the wire, but like those credits are like right a, a minute each time. <laughs> <laughs> you can only watch them so many times. So uh, well, you and, know, and the, I, I do like. Um, they this did an episode modest. of Slate's cultural uh, culture gab fest uh, a few weeks ago. Great, great podcast where um, <laughs> the topic was improbably. What are your most favorite and least favorite TV? credits sequences ever <laughs> and uh as long as i'm piling on i'm gonna say house of cards what is the point it's i yeah i, it's I haven't watched all house of cards but i do find it long and kind of tedious well, and all it is it's the, like the, philip the glass it's like koyana scotsy footage of dc you know it would be interesting if they showed different scenes every time like in the flash the flash credits evolve every week I do like well the, you know the what I'm pre-opening about, the my name is Barry Allen. We're like well yeah the but am I wrong? It seems like every week, almost every week that I can catch it anyway. And my daughter and I watch for it now. Is that at the beginning the the I'm Barry Allen? You know that part. They th- change new scenes. Yeah, they show you things you you they don't add things that you haven't seen yet. And then when you, there's the, they're continually evolving. I love that. Yeah, they yes. did that. They do that. Arrow did that as well, where they would change the my name is Oliver Queen opening with different. Different. They cut in different scenes, which was nice. Um, it, it gave it a very good comic booky feel there. I just I, with the Daredevil one, and again, you know, uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, Daredevil's my favorite guy in the world. So, like, but when that music comes on, it's like I immediately can put the boxing gloves on and just like feel like okay, time to get tough, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it, it's go time. It's not too long, you know, and it just it, it's enough to get me in the mood and say, okay, come on, Matt. Let's let's go. Let's go get them. I know we're I know we're running a little right. long here, but um, have you guys? I guess you guys probably heard that. Very interesting. Uh, there was a lot of uh, understandable backlash from people in the in the blind and uh, you know visually impaired community saying like, hey. You know, there's no visual descriptions for Daredevil. You oh, guys yeah, made yeah. a show about a blind guy, but there's no visual descriptions. So Netflix hustled and yep. did visual descriptions. Have you watched Daredevil with vi- visual descriptions on? I've had the captions. So I've been watching on the Fire TV, and I've had the captions on. <laughs> when you turn points, 50, you're going to be watching the cap- captions with everything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Um, yeah, it's, but I'm not sure how much of that actually comes. I'm just going to say, do yourself, do yourself a favor, just for fun, even for ten minutes. Turn on the audio descriptions because it's like watching an amazing TV show while someone's reading you that same awesome book. So now, did you do it with your eyes closed? Uh, no, I haven't. I don't trust myself. Well, well, go like a red, red background. Liquid appears to be flowing. The word daredevil <laughs> <Really>? appears. <laughs> 
a white logo <laughs> says Marvel. And like, it goes, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. But it's like actually. this kind of like, like, awesome. uh, it's so great. Like, like this kind of like, uh, cheesy, not cheesy. It's a really well done, like Philip Marlowe uh, description of what you're watching. And, and with, with the, uh, subtitles on, man, I'm telling you, it's a triple threat. That's pretty great. I just imagine the process of recording that. We're like, all right, we're going to put this guy in a box for a week, and we're just going to have him like watch it on mute and just describe everything that he sees. Well, it's definitely an art because it is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It would not be the same thing as just describing, you know, kind of functionally what's happening. There's a car. Not, there's another like car. There's another car. It's there's not like you're, car. yeah, it's your, you're not playing. You're not playing like, Green like car, pic- Pictionary car. here, right? Like being like, oh uh, no, wait, he's a boat. Nope, we zoom out. Oh no, he's a man. Matt you know? looks conflicted and ties a panty on his head (laughs) (laughs) so how do they cut that in between like so uh, you know there are two characters having dialogue now is it in the gaps between like us talking is that is that when it's being described yeah it's it's i mean to the extent possible they're giving you a lot of times it's sort of establishing shot stuff. Again, like, like, like a novel, they say, you know, we, you know, you open on a moving in on a building and da 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 and so forth. And then it tends to cut out when people are speaking. And then they say, you know, they add enough to explain what's changed. But it really, it really is like an audiobook in a lot of ways. And uh, it's, I, I'm very impressed by the art form. It makes you want to watch more movies that way, listen to more movies that way. <laughs> I think that might be a great job for you, Merlin. <laughs> Another arm is broken. It's an open break. <laughs> Bone is exposed. It's a, a sickening crack. Sure it sounds like an old ship. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. That was the greatest one. Gentlemen, we are going long, so let, let, let's cut it down and say it's been an absolute pleasure going over this, this flow with you of, uh, in Hell's Kitchen. So thank you, Merlin. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Mose. It's been good to be here. Thanks, Mose. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime in Hell's Kitchen.